Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Why don't we take a minute to pray? Let's kind of come to that. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing today all over the world. In the midst of darkness, a great light is arising. In the midst of trouble, you're, you're, you are in the middle of it, Lord. You're not the light at the end of the tunnel. You're the light in the tunnel. You don't remove yourself from our trouble. You run to us when we're in trouble. And Lord, we, we bless this nation. We bless the nations of the world. And we thank you that you are going to recover all. That you are going to recover all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about the war of the worlds. And I believe that there is a war going on in a realm that most of us or many of us are completely unaware of. And I want to show you through the scripture that that realm is honestly affecting this visible realm, that there is a spirit realm that is affecting our visible realm. And if you don't believe in the spirit world, you can become a victim of the invisible man. I want to tell you a story that's uh, for some of us, maybe for our Bethel people, we'll be like, oh yeah, it's Chris. And for other people, they'll be like, he's crazy. But um, I got in- introduced to the, um, to the spirit world at a very young age, 15. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't uh, know if there was a God. My mother was very sick um, with psoriasis covering her entire body. We had a a prowler that was trying to get into our house for a long time. My mother was sleeping with a shotgun. She had just gone through a divorce. I was sleeping with a rifle. And uh, a man got into my room actually the day before this incident I'm going to tell you about. I took a shot at him. And we just, it was a very scary time. I said I was 15. And I wasn't raised to not believe in God. My, my, parent, my mother wasn't an atheist. We just never went to church. We never read the Bible. And I didn't know if there is a God, what his name was. And I heard... I prayed one night right after that man got into my window. My mother laying on the couch, you know, very scared and very sick. My two siblings, younger siblings, obviously very, you know, tormented and terrorized from all of, the, all of that. And I prayed out loud, if there's a God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And an audible voice said to me, my name is Jesus Christ. And you have what you requested. And the next morning, my mother's psoriasis was completely gone. She had, it was all in her hair, her arms. Uh, sometimes you see people have a little psoriasis on her elbows. It wasn't anything like that. She was covered in psoriasis. About a week later, the voice came back and said, you said that if you healed my, if, you said that if I healed your mother, you'd serve me and I'm waiting. My name is Jesus Christ. And you said, if, you, if I healed your mother, you'd serve me. And so I spent the next three years looking for the Lord, found him at 18, and that's a story for another time. But I was introduced to God in, the supernatural, in a supernatural way. So I've had you know, many people over the years say, you know, God doesn't talk to people like that anymore. God doesn't do prophetic ministry anymore. And I'm like, ah, that's actually how I got here. I actually, you know, a man with a, an argument has no power over the man over, with the experience. So, I got here that way, and I have, was introduced to the Holy Spirit soon afterwards, got filled with the Holy Spirit at 18, and been following the Lord ever since, and have, have never turned back in all those years, and that was uh, more than 10 years ago. <laughs> but um, we moved some years later, we, Kathy and I got married, and we moved to a little, a little town called Lewiston, California. You might all hear about Weaverville all the time because we talk about Weaverville, but I first moved to Lewiston, which was about 20 minutes from Weaverville, and it was a town of 900. Yes, 900. I moved from San Jose to Lewiston, so you can imagine. What kept me up at night was no traffic. I could hear the frogs at, at night. When we moved to Lewiston, it was so quiet, the frogs kept you awake. And I don't know if like a dripping faucet, you know, like... Once, once you live there for a while, it's kind of like white noise and you, you don't think about it. But when you first moved there, I can remember laying awake at night like, I can't sleep, the frogs are barking, you know. <laughs> and uh, I had an encounter with the Lord when we moved to this little town uh, called Lewiston. And the Lord told me, 
in just uh, not in an audible voice or anything, but he said, I'm going to give you this city. <laughs> it's a big vision, 900 people. I'm like, that's awesome. Some years passed. We moved to Weaverville. I was the youth pastor, the volunteer youth pastor there while we were in business. And uh, we got a youth pastor about eight years later who took my place. And I was asking the Lord for my next assignment. And the Lord said, I want you to go to Lewiston. Remember, I told you 10 years ago that I was going to give you that city. I want you to go to Lewiston and I want you to walk around the city every night, every Sunday night until I tell you to stop. So I thought, I thought this is going to be like a prayer walk. You know, I'm not the prayer walker guy. That's more like Benny. So I'm like, this will be a good month project. So, and the Lord gave me this instruction. He actually told me that I was to speak to no one, but just walk and pray. And so I would go Sunday night and I would go usually around eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, I'd wait till it got dark. And I would walk the city. Now, uh, you could walk the entire town of 750 people, all lived in one area, and you could walk that in one hour, like a total one hour. And I started walking that, and I walked it every Sunday. I walked it in the rain and the snow. I started in the summer because I thought, it was, you know, this, is gonna, this isn't going to be a very long prayer walk. And I walked for six months, seven months, eight months. And remember, like, for a guy who likes to preach, this is not an exciting ministry. <laughs> and after a while, I began to settle in, like, okay, I, I, hey, this might be some years. I, I don't know how long I'm going to walk because the Lord told me, you walk until I tell you not to. And so I was just walking and praying, and, and after probably, I don't know, several months, you know, it was very boring. And a couple of people started to go with me, and then they would go once, and they're like, oh, this isn't very fun, nothing's really happening here. <laughs> and uh, I started to settle in, and I really started to say, okay, Lord, what are we doing here? And the Lord began to talk to me about different homes. As I'd walk past a home, the Lord would say, there's a prostitute living there, I want you to pray for her, then... So, uh, and, and after a few months, I could actually tell which home I was in front of without looking at them. Like, I could close my eyes and walk down the street, and I'm like, oh, that's so-and-so's house, and that's the drug house over here, that's the prostitution house, this is a house where a child's being molested and abused, and I, I could literally tell you, and I, I don't know, I mean, I know it was happening by the Spirit because I had no knowledge of it. And I would pray, and the Lord would say, I want you to stop and pray right here and give me your name. And I wasn't yelling or, or doing anything to bring attention to myself. I would just stand in front and I would just pray. And the Lord would say, there's two children here, they're being molested. I want you to pray for their safety. I want you to pray for their deliverance. And little by little, things began to happen. I was a good friend with the sheriff, and I never told the sheriff any of those things. Of course, there was no facts involved. It was all Holy Spirit prayer. And little by little, things began to change. Uh, a year passed, and it was summertime, and for no known reason, um, I was uh, at Sunday morning church, and uh, some people came up and said, hey, you, you pray in Lewiston? I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for a year, and they're like, we'd like to come with you, and I said, I, because I'd had a few people come before, like, let me warn you, this is nothing exciting. <laughs> we were like walking and praying. There's no like, shabayadada, there's none of that, it's just quietly walking. Oh, no, no, we don't come. And anyway, that particular night, about 25 people came with me. I remember the most I'd ever had was like two that didn't stay. And so we get there. Uh, I said it was summer. It was actually a winter night. It was actually winter time because I, I remember like there was no moon. It was cold and dark that particular night. And, uh, and, and in Lewiston, when, uh, when there's no moon, there's no streetlights. Like, it's the kind of darkness that you can't see in front of you. And some of the people who were raised there, you know what I'm talking about. And so we were walking, so I, I got everybody, we met in this parking lot in front of a gym, uh, this old gym that hadn't been opened in, I don't know, 25, 30 years, and in front of that was just a field, just a field of high weeds, just very, like, waist-high weeds, probably, I don't know, 10, 20 acres of just waist-high weeds. And so we met in this gravel parking lot, and I, I, I put every one of them, okay, you go down this street, this street, this street, this street, and we'll meet back. And I know with all of them walking, we, we're going to be done in 20 minutes. So they all went out to different streets, and I took street. I went out by groups of two, 
And again, very dark, kind of a creepy night. And I said, when we get done praying, we'll meet right back here at the gym, and we'll grab hands and we'll pray together, then we'll go home. So, all right, so they all left. And they, we, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, we met at the gym. And we, we, I said, let's grab hands and pray. And so, again, we made a circle, and we grabbed hands, and we began to pray. And remember, this is a, like a completely dark, like you can't see the person across the circle. And so we're praying, and just as we begin to pray, a voice out of, I know this is going to sound too creepy for some of our online audience, but I have a purpose for telling this story. As we begin to pray, out of the middle of the field, in back of us, this voice began to cry. Now, it's nighttime, we're in a valley, and it's echoing through the valley. It's the kind of thing that happens that makes the hair on the back of your head stand up, and you got goosebumps that aren't holy goosebumps. And so, and so immediately, everybody just stopped, because they thought, oh, well, somebody's hurt in there. So we stopped, and as soon as we stopped, the voice stopped. So we start praying again, and it starts, me like a hundred times louder than that echoing through the canyon. And we all stop. It immediately stops. And we start, it does the same thing. So we start, so the, my, my team, my, my new team says, I'm going. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. And I said, oh no, you're not. <laughs> and I realized like there's a reason why the Lord gave me an army that night. And I said, no, no, you all stay in. And here's what we're gonna do. And I gotta tell you, I'm the one who wanted to run to the car and leave. I was scared. I was shaking profusely. But I, I, I knew there was something. God was going to have some kind of breakthrough. So I said to them, when that voice gets loud, we're going to get louder. <laughs> so everybody was okay. There was not a, an ounce of courage in anyone, including the leader. And so we grabbed hands again, and we started to pray. And as we did, it got, Wah! and so we got louder. Yeah, Holy Ghost! <laughs> we released the power of God! Jesus over our city, and it got louder, we got louder, and we were praying the blood of Jesus, we were praying for this city, Lord, we break the power of this city, and everybody just started, and pretty soon there was a boldness in our prayers, and we started getting louder and louder and more bold, and the thing got louder and louder, and we got louder and louder, and pretty soon, like, everybody in that space realized, like, we're actually in a spiritual battle, this was not a human or in an animal, this was like we were in a spiritual battle that broke through the visible realm, the hearing realm, and we were actually hearing what had been going on in Lewiston for generations. And we, they called Lewiston the armpit of Trinity County. And we began to pray fervently, and pretty soon the fear left, and we were praying with great faith. And we were probably, I don't know, it may have been five minutes, it felt like a half an hour, but it's probably five or maybe 10 minutes. We were praying, and pretty soon it, and it would go, ah! and pretty soon we we're praying louder, and we we're praying more fervently, and pretty soon it goes, ah! Ah, 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 ah. just like that. Just like in a horror movie. And we kept praying. And it was gone. And, and we did just that. We just started clapping. Everybody knew, we, like, we don't know what happened, but it was something amazing just happened. Like, I don't know how you tell your friends about this one, you know. The very next day, I was at work, and the probation, uh, the head of probation, his name was Dick Maybe. I get a phone call, and he's like, hey, hey Chris, this is Dick. I'm like, yeah, how you doing, man? It's good, you know. Hey, we're going to do something over in Lewiston. We're going to meet with all of the parents of the children who are on probation, the juveniles, for I think it was three months, and twice a week. And we're gonna do this thing on parenting. And we're wondering if you'd like to take the kids. I'm like, oh yeah. Of course, I didn't want to tell them about the prayer meeting we had the day before. But Kathy and I and my family we opened up that gym, that's a whole nother story. It hadn't been open, I think, in like 30 years. We swept it out, it was like an inch and a half of just dirt. And it leaked like a sieve. Uh, but we took it the very first night. I had 37 kids, they were ordered to be there. They couldn't leave, which is preacher's dream. 
the, the, my, my, the probation officer said, the only thing you can't do is you can't preach Jesus. You can't talk about the Bible. I'm like, this will be very interesting because, you know, I've had eight years of youth pastor experience with youth, with, you know, Christian kids, Christian kids, <laughs> not necessarily, but <laughs> the very first night, 37 kids, we played basketball and volleyball, and then we had a halftime. And at halftime, I talked about sexual purity. Actually, the more revolution book came out of the very first night. The Lord gave me a prophetic vision 30 seconds before I got to the gym. It's the story of the ring. I can't tell you the whole story, but if you read the more revolution book, you'll see the story in there I got in 30 seconds in a vision. I told that story to 37 kids who were all on probation, not a Christian among them. I looked up. I, you can't even believe how nervous I was. When I told them they had to sit on the bench, they're like, effing, we have to sit where? Do we have to listen to you? Oh, I don't know. And it was like, and I'm like, oh goodness, this is worse than Christian kids. <laughs> Not a lot worse, but <laughs> some of you know what I mean. Anyway, I, I shared about sexual purity to a group of kids who obviously had never heard that message before. These were 15 to 18 year olds. They'd have to be 17, I guess. And uh, when I got done sharing, the toughest guy in the gym looked at me, tears running down his face, a puddle on the floor. And he said to me, no one effing ever told me about this. Speaking of that God gave him the gift of purity. The toughest girl was sitting behind him on park benches, and she said, no one effing told me about this either. And I ended up there for five years. Hundreds of kids, discipling hundreds of kids who have never known the Lord. I won two community awards. I, we adopted our oldest son out of that group. We had 120 kids average a night for five years. And what I'm getting at is none of that would have happened if we didn't bind first the strong man. And I learned so much from that little, it was almost like being in a laboratory in the middle of the woods where nobody cared, only 900 people. And I learned about the spirit world. I remember one time I was driving to the gym and I, it was about 15 to 20 minute drive from my house to the gym, another from Weaverville to Lewiston. And I got almost to the gym and the Lord said, you won't be opening tonight, they plan to kill you. And so I'm like, okay, so I turned around and went home. I had never done that before. I didn't open the gym and come to find out Monday morning I found out that there was two of them who had plotted to kill me. And over and over, the Lord saved my life in that meeting. The very first meeting, I should tell you this, the very first night where I told you I, what I preached, I broke up five fights, fist fights that night and by myself. I was like Superman. <laughs> and I began to realize that there was a realm that I hadn't understood that I didn't know. And I, out of that experience, not the one first night experience, but out of the five years of experience, and I could spend the whole message, I could spend 10 messages telling you week after week what happened at that place. The Lord opened my eyes that we live in a tri-dimensional world and most people have single-dimensional glasses. And the challenge is that many Christians have a theology, theological relationship with the spirit world, but don't actually believe in the reality of the invisible but tangible dimension of life. And consequently, as I said in my opening, that if you don't, know, if you don't believe in the spirit world, you become a victim of the invisible man. And I started to realize that those kids who were coming, yes, they were, came up in terrible homes. I, I had this idea one time, uh, maybe, a, maybe a year in, that I would, over the next year, I would go visit the parents of each of my kids. I heard someone preach that, I thought it was a great idea. 
I went to the first parent. I kind of made an appointment. You know, it wasn't really an appointment. Hey, ask your mom if I can come see you next, her next week. And I come early, and I go to her house, and she's sitting in the, in the corner with a needle in her arm. And kids, in a way that, I mean, I grew up, in, I thought I grew up in poverty. All of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, my home was pretty good, comparatively speaking. I went to three homes in three weeks, and that was it. And I realized, like, these kids, these kids are in trouble because they don't have moms and dads. And they have invited this whole demonic realm into their homes. And so I learned over time how to help my kids get free from all, not just addictions, but to the thing that was driving their addictions. And I began to teach them, you are children of God. And I began to work on their identity. And, the, and God showed me like the root issue here is they don't know who they are. They don't have moms and dads who raise them so that they know that they are children of God. And I began to talk to them. And every week I, I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to inspire hope in them. Enough hope that they can last for three more days because we would be twice a week, we would be with them. And my goal, the Lord just gave me a very simple goal. Just inspire hope that stays long enough that they can wait for you for three more days. And I began to do that. Inspire hope, give them skills, teach them how to deal with their, you know, with, with everything from conflict to their sex drive to all the things that are happening in teenagers' life that, you know, we, that sometimes they even come to church and they feel shamed. <laughs> you know, as time went on, my group grew and people would come to help me, to help me. Christians would come to help me, and God bless them, you know, I get it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and my kids, you know, use the F word as a regular way to communicate, which, you know, I grew up in the automotive business, so it wasn't so foreign, like I knew Egyptian pretty well, although I didn't speak it myself. And some of my, my friends would come, and they would be like, you know, correcting them, like, don't use that word. And I'd take my friends aside, and like, do you understand the problem isn't the words, is it coming from a broken heart? But nobody lasted more than three weeks. It was, it was tough, it was hard to relate. And I, I wanna just connect us a little bit to the fact that you know our world is in turmoil, again. And the challenge is, is that there are lots of things happening in another dimension that are affecting this dimension. And so I want to spend the next 20 minutes just talking about that a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You were dead in your, in your trans, trans, trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is a, a powerful statement because, you know, Paul's talking to Greek people in the, in the church at Ephesus. And he says to them, before you knew the Lord, you were actually being influenced. You were actually being controlled. You were actually a puppet of the prince of the power of the air. And Paul makes a statement that is still working and those who are disobedient. In other words, some people say when Jesus died on the cross, it broke that power over the, over the world. And I'd say it broke the power over all of those who receive him over the world. Jesus made a statement. He said, make disciples. Well, let me back up because the most important part I miss. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, for you and I, that, you know, 2,000 years later, maybe not super powerful statement. For the Jewish people who are listening, a very profound statement. Because he didn't just say, all authority has been given to me in heaven. They would have thought that because of the Psalms and so forth. You read the Old Testament. Obviously, God's in control of the nations. But when he said, on earth, that would have been a profound statement that the God of this world has then deflocked, defunct, <laughs> disarmed, right? And defeated. He's got no arms and no feet. 
Is he in your pool? His name be Bob. <laughs> when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he literally deauthorized the devil. The devil got authority in the garden. We've talked about it many times. God gave authority to man, right? Told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth, so on and so forth. It's a longer story than I want to go into. But help me understand, God said, I'm putting two trees in the garden. You can eat this one. Please eat this one, tree of life. Don't eat this one, tree of knowledge and good and evil. Devil comes along, obviously a much longer story. Devil talks them in, in, into eating the tree that God told them not to eat. And how many understand, they didn't just disobey God, they obeyed the devil. And when they did that, they changed masters. Because God gave Adam and Eve authority, he gave mankind authority, and Adam gave it to the enemy. So how many know that one of the reasons why Jesus had to, God had to become a man is because God gave authority over the earth to man, so the Son of God had to become the Son of Man so that sons of men could become sons of God. So when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the devil. Now, how many understand that God, that Jesus actually said, I give you power over all the power of the evil one, meaning that the devil still has power, but he has no authority. Let me say that again. Authority, I think it's the word exousia, something like that in the Greek. It's the badge. When a police officer comes to your house, he has a badge. You don't, you don't know him. You don't know if he's a good person, a bad person. We're finding out a few officers are, are not good people. But you obey him because he has authority. But he also has a gun. He has power. He has dudamus. How many understand the devil has some power, but he has no authority? Meaning he can't use his power against People who, have, he can't use his power unless someone deputizes him. Are you with me? He's been defeated. The only way he gets to use his power against you is by invitation. The challenge is, is that the invitation isn't a written invitation. It isn't, please devil, come get me. Invitations come in ways that we often don't understand. In a... Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, don't, I'm sorry, it's chapter 4, verse 26, be angry, yet do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity or a place. Be angry, it's okay to be angry, not for more than a day. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you know if you go to bed angry, you'll wake up bitter? How many of you know that going to bed angry and sleeping on it will just gestate anger, and it becomes bitterness, hatred, and Jesus said it goes on to inspire murder. Don't go to bed angry. No, he says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. What's the point? That you can. Are you guys with me? You can, and so the goal is to keep the door closed. Jesus, all authority's been given to me. Go for, so you go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I taught you. One of the things that we nations need to know is that the door of opportunity for the devil, or shall we say the doormat, the welcome mat for demonic activity in our life is bitterness, hatred, murder, jealousy. You get the idea. These things open a door so that we actually are, it inspires the strings of, if you will, the enemy. We become a puppet to his power. And, and God's goal is for us to undermine and defeat the power of the enemy. There's a war. Sorry, am I yelling? <laughs> There's a war over who gets to shape history. Who gets to be the architect of culture. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, I've been looking at this passage many times. I want to encourage you to do the same. Like, turn off CNN, turn off Fox, and read your Bible. You know, this is, listen, listen, it's always true. But right now, if you spend more time looking, watching the media, listening to the media, than you do reading your Bible, you're probably going to be in great distress and you don't need to be because God is completely and totally in control. Yeah. 
Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Did you get that? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, You know, I want to place this in its context. If you read Ephesians, it's very interesting. It's very interesting that Paul actually ends this book with our struggle because chapter 2, 3, and 4, he talks about our authority. I'll talk about it in just a minute, but God's put everything under your feet is Paul's, this is is Paul's um, understanding of the spirit world is that God raised us up and seated us in heavenly places with Christ and he put everything under our feet. And yet he ends this wonderful, amazing book with our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness, and listen to this, in heavenly places. In heavenly places. I, I want to talk to you just a minute about this, this statement, in heavenly places. Previously, Paul said, you've been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. I'd like to suggest that there are, the Bible actually teaches about three heavens. The first heaven being Genesis 1, and God created the heavens and the earth. That's the visible kingdom, the tangible world, the world we all live in, the world you can feel and touch. And then there's this verse, that there are forces of wickedness in heavenly places. I'd like you to know that there are no demons in God's heaven. God cast the devil and all of his followers out of heaven. When you get to heaven, you will not be dealing with demons. We call this the second heaven. There's no place in the Bible that actually says this is the second heaven, but God does call the the place we're going the third heaven. Paul said, I know a man who was taken to the third heaven, and he saw things that were indescribable, and we know that Paul's actually talking about himself. Are you with me? First heaven, this is where we live. This is where we were born into humanity. The second heaven, this is the demonic realm. This is the place that we war with. But how many understand that we've been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places? Let me say say it this way. We've been raised up and seated in heavenly places with Christ, far above all principalities and powers and every name that's ever been named. Are you with me? So what I'm getting at is it's very difficult to solve a first heaven problem with second heaven solutions. It's very difficult to solve a first heaven problem with second heaven solutions, or let me just say it this way, it's very hard to solve first heaven problems that actually have second heaven, perp- I'm, uh, what am I trying to say? They're actually, you know, the first heaven problem is actually a symptom of a second heaven attack. I can't solve a first heaven problem first heaven problem that's actually rooted in the second heaven without getting to the third heaven where I have authority. I I know this sounds so spiritual. It's like, oh, that's, I really believe that. And I can tell you that most Christians have a theological relationship with the spirit world, but the reality is they live under the second heaven, not even understanding that 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 second heaven, that demonic world is trying to destroy you. his, His goal is to steal to kill and destroy. And when we have the manifestation of a second heaven encounter, which is often anger, jealousy, bitterness, depression, hopelessness, fear, all of these things, we typically run to the doctor before we run to the great position, not understanding that that realm is affecting this realm. I'm not saying it's always the devil's fault. I'm saying there are two dimensions that I can think of right now. Sometimes we open the door to the enemy, and other times he has a scheme to defeat us. If we don't realize it, then we, we live with a single-dimensional lens, but we're in, a third, we're in a tri-dimensional world. We focus all our attention on the first heaven, but I'd suggest that the second heaven is perpetuating a lot of things that we're experiencing, and if we don't get up to our proper place, we don't really understand what's going on. (laughs) 
I remember being at a particular event in DC. And it was a large event with about 3,000 people. It was a three day event. And we were, Kathy and I, and a few of our team, were speaking to this political leader and his wife from another country. And uh, they didn't speak, uh, English wasn't their first language, so it was, uh, they spoke very broken English, and obviously we didn't speak their language. So we're, we're having this dialogue, and you know how that is when you're kind of working through, they're working through what did he just say, and we're working through what was their response kind of thing. But as, I'm, as we're having this conversation, of course we're all dressed up in suits and dresses, and everybody is looking really great, and we're in this room of about 70 people, a breakout room, and and I looked over this lady, and as we're having a conversation, I see a sword sticking out of her stomach. And I'm like, okay, this is, this ain't church. <laughs> it's not Chris Bellaton's Lewiston Home Group I'm, either. So, you know, so I, I'm a little like, uh, I, I'm thinking to myself, and every, we're having a, a, just a kind of conversation. Everyone's kind of laughing. The, the mood's kind of light. This lady's beautiful. She's probably 35 or 40. And I'm like, oh gosh, what do I do about this? Uh, and I, I really am anxious, not because I don't know what to do, but, but I don't know what the protocol would be in this event. And, I'm, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I should just pray about this information the Lord gave me. And I'm praying, and I felt like the Lord said, pull the sword out of her. Do you understand it's invisible, right? Okay, so I'm like... Yeah, these people are not, definitely not used to three-dimensional world. So I kind of sheepishly say um, to her, there's a sword in your stomach. <laughs> Is it okay if I pull it out? Now, Kathy, everybody knows my wife, right? She's like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. She's got that look like, she looks over at me like as if to say like, oh no, no, not, not here, you know? And I'm like, I, I, and I'm looking at her like, I have to do this. So I said, there's a sword in your stomach, can I pull it out? And, and, and her husband says, I'm, he speaks a little better English, and he says like, sword, he keeps repeating sword. I'm like, yeah, a sword, you know, like, a sword? He said, yes. I said, in her stomach. And she says, where? I said, right here. And she starts bawling. Her makeup's running down her face. And she says, I've had pain here, Five year. I've been all over world. Cannot. I said, she said, I have been all over world. I said, yeah, they can't find anything wrong with you, right? She said, no. I said, I pull the sword out, you'll be fine. <laughs> oh my goodness. My whole team is like sweating blood. And I'm thinking, gosh, I hope this works. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Anyway, I'll shorten the story. It is a much longer story. She said, she finally says, okay. That was a kind of a funny, a funny conversation. Obviously, I'm going to pull the sword out. Just, okay. So I pull the sword out. I grab the handle and I pull, the, it's invisible, right? So I pull the sword out. Ugh. And as soon as I do, she falls down in a short dress, <laughs> out cold, in the spirit, with 70 non-believers political people in the room. And the reality of another realm just broke into the realm and they were completely shocked as if they were looking at a hologram and all of a sudden another picture jumped out of them. They just were stunned. Of course, the girls immediately covered her. Kathy got on the ground with some of our team, prayed for her, and he kept saying, call 911. And I'm like, no, it's all right, it's all right. It's Jesus. And he kept saying, Jesus. And finally I said, Jesus is Nazareth. Nazareth. <laughs> Okay, and she's down there, and she's, you know, she's like, she's being touched by the Lord, you know, and I've watched people be down on the ground for hours, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, not hours, <laughs> and, uh, and he's, uh, her husband is very, very concerned, and at five minutes, about five minutes, which I'm telling you, it felt like an hour, and I was praying my heart out, oh, God, please not let this be a long one. Please don't let the paramedics come. I mean, this is just going to be so bad. And she sits up after five minutes. It got to be one of the longest five minutes of my life. And she sits up and she begins to say in her language to her husband, you know, pointing to her stomach. And she stands up 
and she realizes that all the pain's gone. And she's weeping and weeping and keeps saying, thank you, thank you. But we get on the elevator. We're in a hotel with 3,700 other people. We get on the elevator. This is probably a half hour later. By the time we get out of that crowd and we got a little something to, to drink and then got on the elevator, which holds about, this, these elevators hold like 30 people. We got on the elevator and a, a politician who I don't know, he looks at me and he goes, are you the man that pulled the sword out of that lady? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. He goes, do I have swords anywhere? And somebody else in the elevator goes, I, I have a pain. The doctor hasn't been able to figure it out. Do you see a sword in my head? And we're having this conversation as we go up 15 floors and people are like, do you see anything in me? Do you see anything in me? But they were all stunned because they were suddenly introduced to another reality. That actually there is a reality, there is a second heaven and there is a third heaven that actually is influencing the first heaven. And if you don't know it, you can become, you can become a prisoner of the invisible man. For the next two days, that was day one, we were there for three days. <laughs> we pulled swords. Yes. Duct tape off of people's heads, swords. We saw people delivered who didn't believe in God. We saw people completely depression broken off of them. People healed. This was like we couldn't go anywhere. Like we eat at the dinner table and we, they'd bring four people and 30 people be at the table and 20 people surrounding us. Asking like, what would you do about this? And have you ever had this happen? And I saw this thing in my room. And these, you know, I'm not saying there wasn't, they weren't Christians, but most of them had never, I don't know if all of them were Christians, but most of them had never had an encounter with the third heaven God. And for an entire three days, we began to unveil a new reality. It wasn't about swords and invisible swords. It was about the fact that you guys are politicians. You're leading a world in the first heaven, not even understanding that there is another realm more powerful than the one you're leading in that is infecting and affecting everything that happens. You don't think racism, you think racism is just a human idea? I wanna tell you, let's not take the responsibility off of everybody, but let's also add to it, there is there is a devil, he doesn't, he doesn't care about white people, he don't care about black people, brown, green, he don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, he hates humans. And if you don't understand that that factor's working in, you are already a victim of the invisible realm. I'm very concerned Christians are coming up with all kinds of cures, but they're symptomatic cures because they, only, they don't actually take into account the root issue. And I'm not taking humanity out of it. I'm just adding another dimension. You're not going to solve a first heaven problem that's actually perpetuated by the second heaven unless you get up here. Come up here. And sometimes when we talk about that to other people, like, yes, I know, it's, it's very spiritual, it's really spiritual. And just the way they say it, you understand they've never had, it's a metaphor, a sword experience. They don't know what it's like to walk around a town for a year and break the prince over a small city. Like, they don't understand the difference. And by the way, if you go to Lewiston, California now, it's a completely different place. I said, we won two community awards there, and that place is no longer the armpit of, of, of Trinity County, and people began to take care of the yards as a complete transformation. And all we were doing, just meeting with kids. So I'm, I'm saying, we, we were doing a small part, but the breaking of that spirit over the area, it's the crime rate began to drop, and thing, crazy things started to happen, and you realize, like, oh, there is something else perpetuating this evil. We need the wisdom of Solomon. Yes. We need the wisdom of Solomon. You know, when God put Solomon's wisdom on display the first time, 
It happened in a story of two prostitutes. You'll probably remember this. They both had had children, infants. And evidently they were sleeping next to each other. And one of them rolled over on their baby and happened to kill their baby. And when they woke up, evidently one, one mother that woke up with a dead baby took the other baby's mother's baby for her own. And they ended up in front of Solomon. Isn't it interesting that Solomon's wisdom, in Solomon's wisdom, he doesn't know who's right and wrong. God doesn't give him a word of knowledge. He gives them wisdom, and wisdom is the divine path to the truth. And you'll remember that Psalm says, cut the baby in half and give each mother half the baby. And the first woman, I think, was the first one said, oh no, uh, yeah, the first one said, yes, cut the baby in half. Give her half, give me half. The other woman said, give the baby to her. Psalm said, that's a mother's cry right there. When I say divine Wisdom, I mean, God wants to give us a pathway. He wants to give us a pathway to the truth. The second thing I want to do, and the Lord gave me this word today, this morning. He told me that those who are oppressed will become the most prosperous in our nation. He said, like the Israelites, when they, the more they oppressed them, the more they prospered. Would you stand? I want to pray right now. I really believe that a third heaven solution is coming for both the virus and racism. I really believe that God, that this is a third, this is a Ezekiel 37 moment when Ezekiel comes to the valley of dry bones. I don't know if this illustration works for you, but it works really well for me. And Ezekiel was looking at a valley of dry bones, dead people. And God asked him this ridiculous question, can these bones live? And I think that Ezekiel is like most of us right now. He's got an honest relationship with God, and he understands what God is proposing, but he says, you know. I'm sure he's thinking, no. And I believe that we're looking at our nation and some of the nations of the world, and I believe the Lord again has us at the Valley of Dry Bones, and he's asking the same question he asked Ezekiel 2,500 years ago, can these bones live? And if you listen to CNN and Fox and all the commentators, you're, you're thinking, you know, Lord. <laughs> and I believe that we're supposed to prophesy to the bones. I believe that we're supposed to prophesy to the nations that out of these dead bones, that God would actually use the crap of our life to make it the fertilizer for the next season and would literally grow something greater. Boy, that was a terrible illustration. I was going to say the Lord gave me that, but let's not blame him for that one. That literally the Lord's going to take the garbage of our life, the crap of our life, and he's going to use it to fertilize the next season of American culture. And by the way, you can pick this up. You're listening from another nation. Pick this up for you. But this is the word of the Lord, that what was meant to kill us is actually going to make us stronger and better. That our economy is going to come back like a slingshot with more velocity than it went, than before it was shut down. I have some other things, but I'm not going to put all that out. And that our economy is going to accelerate, and it's going to break every record in the history of America. And God's going to be in the middle of it. it, won't, it he's going to get credit for it in a strange way. I don't even know what that strange way is. The second thing I want to say is that I believe that African Americans, Latinos, people who have been oppressed in American culture, and, and we can argue all day how that happened or whose fault it is. I, I, I think the enemy will oppress any people he can and convince other people to help him. So let's just leave it at that. But I believe that the people who are oppressed are going to be those who prosper. And I believe that 10 years from now, the African-American race, uh, ethnic group, and also Latinos. I see God, Latinos, I see the Latinos, the, the, especially the Mexican, 
Mexican-Americans. I believe that God's going to prosper them in the way that he's going to take them from the prison. It's a metaphor to the palace. And, and the world's going to wonder what happened to them. And I want to say, and I know this is a little bit metaphoric, but the, I see that, you know, I was praying yesterday and I saw how the Japanese, they had two bombs dropped on them by Americans. They were devastated. And what happened? Like when the Lord, Lord said to me, do you see what I did with them? I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And everybody's going to stand by and go, I, wow, they're breaking every record. What happened? And God's going to be in the middle of it because when you oppress God's people, they always prosper. And I believe a day, this day is coming. I think this is, as I prophesied in December, I think it was the 19th, that, uh, that we're in a time of providence when God has taken over history. I didn't know what that meant at the time. But I look for God to take over history. What we think is bad right now, I'm saying uh, uh, the exposure of racism is a good thing. I think we're going to find out that God's in the middle of the exposure the exposure of wickedness, and he's going to accelerate love and purity, unity. And I think, we're, I think we're going to look back a year and a half from now, and we're going to be like, we didn't even know it, but we were in the middle of a gestation of God. And uh, that's not to say that everything that happens in this moment is God. Of course not. The enemy always wants to pervert what God promotes. When the, Moses threw down... His staff was actually Aaron's staff and it became a snake. How many know the devil duplicated it twice? So whenever God is in a move, you got to figure out what snake's God's. Because the enemy wants to steal God's glory and take away this epic moment. And if we're not careful, we like run from snakes. It's a metaphor. Not realizing that God's the one who initiated this. So, Lord, we pray right now. We pray for this time in earth. We pray, God, that you would take what is bad and you turn around, as Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Our economy, this, this whole issue of racism that's just been going on for generations, Lord, I pray that you would take hold of history and that you would shake it until all we see is God's stuff. Lord, make us aware that we are not alone on this planet, that we cohabit this planet with angels and with demons. And Lord, let us not give the demons a place. Let us take authority over them and let them fall like heaven, fall from, from the heavens like lightning. Lord, we pray for that, that we would so be so powerful on earth as you sent out the 70 and they came back and said, even the demons are subject to us. And he said, yeah, I saw Satan falling like lightning. Lord, I pray that would be the testimony that we so love the hell out of the world that Satan would fall like lightning. Lord, make us ministers of reconciliation. It's in our DNA. It's in our DNA to reconcile people to each other and to God, that we are vessels of mercy that we are children of love, that we are people of power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.